The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30. We're looking at Proverbs 30, verses 21 through 33 this evening. We get ever so closer to the end of this book. I think after this, we just have a couple of weeks left. Proverbs 30, verses 21 through 33. Let's give our attention now to God Himself as He speaks to us in His Holy Word. Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king, and a fool when he is filled with food. An unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. Three things are stately in their tread, four are stately in their stride. The lion, which is mightiest among beasts, and does not turn back before any, the strutting rooster, the he-goat, and a king whose army is with him. If you have been foolish exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth, for pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. This concludes the reading of God's word. May God have you pleased to have his blessing to it. Well, what makes someone a strong person? Is it that they know how to stick up for themselves and they are not pushovers? Is it that they have a lot of confidence in themselves and they don't let anyone affect that? Is it that they know how to assert their own will and get their own way? Well, this is the way that the world tells us to be strong and confident. And the Scriptures actually want us to be strong. But the Scriptures take a different approach. The way of wisdom. In this passage, we see three groups that have strength. In verses 21 through 23, we see those who are weak, but suddenly come into a position of power. In verses 24 through 28, we see a group of animals who are small and therefore physically weak, but are nevertheless strong because of wisdom. Then in verses 29 through 31, we see strong animals who walk proudly because of their strength. And this is immediately followed up by a warning to not exalt yourself in verses 32 through 33, which indicates that this is a warning against being proud in one's own strength. Out of these three groups, only one has strength due to wisdom, which hints to us at how someone is truly strong. And so what we're going to look at are three groups that teach us about true strength. They are the proud weak, the strong weak, and the proud strong. 
So first, the proud weak. Verse 21. Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. So this is a figure of speech referring to a major change that shakes things up. What we would call earth-shattering things. Big events. And these are said to be unbearable. The way it's put, it cannot bear up. In other words, these are unbearable things. So this is put in a negative light. What follows are four people who are weak, but who gain a position of power, and as a result make things unbearable or intolerable. Their desires were pent up, and so they come out even stronger than those who used to be over them when they finally get to express it. So the first half of verse 22 says a slave when he becomes king. Now in that culture, the only reason that a slave would become a king is if something major or a terrible mishap happened where the king loses control or when the slave somehow rises up and disposes his master, whether it's through some sort of mutiny or some sort of craft. In fact, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, produced by Jews in the 3rd century who understood that culture, uh, translated in such a way that they understood it this way. What would make this so intolerable is that the slave who was low and used to have people over him and was used by others would end up doing the same. Now it's my turn. Now that I have the power. He had the same heart as his masters over him. It's just that the slaves was suppressed. But comes out even stronger when he can express it. And we see this with the other three people mentioned. The second part of verse 22. And a fool when he is filled with food. Again, we need to understand this in the context of things that are unbearable. Because it's not a bad thing that a fool eats. It's not that we should say, well, the fool should have starved. Rather, the implication is that he came into an abundance of food. He has become wealthy on delicacies. He now has the ability and power to fulfill his foolish desires. And so he lives his life now in gluttony and drunkenness. And then the first part of verse 23. An unloved woman when she gets a husband or when she gains her husband. Now, what this is referring to is when a man had two wives, like you see with Jacob, where one was loved and favored and the other one was unloved. And again, we see that with, with Jacob. And this is when the unloved woman gains her husband when she now becomes the favorite and loved one, and she becomes tyrannical against the one who used to be the favorite or loved one. As similarly, the second half of verse 23, and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. So here the maidservant takes the place of her mistress when she gains her mistress's, mistress's husband and the family inheritance. If her desires were honorable, she would not want this. She would not seek this when she has the opportunity. But in all of these, the issue is that the heart and desires 
are the same as those who were over them. Now, they are the ones on top. They are the ones that have the power to express their desires over those who used to be over them. And if anything, the desires come out even stronger. They now have this position of power. This reversal has happened. But is this really the strength that we are to see? Is this what we are to desire? To gain mastery over those who had held us down and stand above them. Is that what makes a strong person? Well, let's consider a second group that teaches us about true strength. And that is the strong weak. This is what God says we should desire. Verse 24 starts out, Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. So these creatures are small, and therefore they are weak. However, because they are very wise, they end up being rather strong. Verse 25, the answer of people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. So obviously ants are not strong. You can crush many of them by stepping on them. However, they know how to survive because they plan ahead. They store up food during the summer, and hence they are able to survive all winter long. And that turns out to be their strength, that wisdom. In fact, I was sitting in my office just last week, and, and somebody walks by and, and is spraying uh, along the foundation and in my window. And I said, who is, who, what exterminator is out here spraying for bugs in the middle of winter? Do the deacons know about this? Are they just trying to get more money out of us? Maybe, maybe you guys don't know about it and have to have a talk with them. But then it dawned on me. Oh, that's because ants obviously can survive over the winter uh, underground. Maybe you don't need to spray for them. Maybe it is just a ploy to get money. But because of their prudence, they do survive underground. They have plenty of food supply over uh, the winter. Verse 26, the rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. So this is a smaller badger, very similar to a marmot. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as a coney or a hyrax, but they're not strong or mighty, kind of like a big mouse. Yet, they do well because of wisdom. They make their homes in the cliffs of the rock, which is a secure home. As Psalm 104.18 says, the, rock, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. Then verse 27, the locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. So such is the wisdom of locusts. They march in rank even though they don't have a king. They have strength in unified numbers even though they're a small creature. Again, this highlights the fact that wisdom is what gives strength. And then verse 28, the lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. Now again, there's some uncertainty about what kind of creature this is. Standard Hebrew dictionary says this is a lizard or a gecko. Some other scholars believe this is a spider, and that's reflected in the King James Version. In any case, the idea remains the same. You have something small that you can easily grasp in your hand. You can't say that about an enemy. Yeah, I can easily grasp my enemy in my hand. And yet, it makes its way into king's palaces. King's palaces are the most 
heavily guarded places to keep enemies and unwanted guests out. That would be quite a, quite a feat in order to penetrate king's palaces. And yet this small thing that you can grasp in your hand is able to do that through wisdom, through cunning, it slips through the cracks unnoticed. So we see that it is actually wisdom that makes one strong. It is not by gaining a position of power in order to express our desires. Rather, wisdom is acting prudently without lording it over others. We've seen in Proverbs, and as we're going to continue to see, wisdom actually seeks to benefit others. This is true strength. But doesn't physical strength have some benefit? Well, Proverbs addresses this with the third and final group that teach us about true strength. And that is the proud strong. Look at verse 29. Three things are stately in their tread. Four are stately in their stride. And what follows here are creatures who do not back down from anyone. They have a certain strength and great confidence to stand up to others. But notice that this verse focuses not on their strength, but on their stride. This verse speaks about the manner of their tread and walk. It's how they present themselves to others. So verse 30, the lion, which is mightiest among the beasts, does not turn back before any. Obviously the lion, the king of the jungle, it's the mightiest among beasts, as Scripture says. It has power and strength that no one dares mess with, hence it does not turn back from any. The next one mentioned, verse 31, the strutting rooster. Again, there's some question as to what this Hebrew word means. You're using the King James Version. It says the greyhound. Perhaps a greyhound when he's on the hunt and doesn't back down. However, strutting rooster appears to be most likely the best translation. Uh, any of you who have had experience dealing with a rooster, know how obnoxiously mean they can be. And it doesn't back down. It struts around. Uh, in fact, we use strutting around as a figure of speech for walking in pride. Next, the he-goat. He also struts around, walks stately. And then next is a king whose army is with him. Generally, when the king has his whole army behind him, he feels rather mighty. Now, is this kind of strength good? Well, in one sense, yes. Nothing wrong with a lion being a lion. It's the way God made it. And if a king is going to go to war, of course he's going to bring his army, and he wants his army to be strong and well-trained. But Proverbs hints that this is not the true and ultimate strength that we should desire by what it goes on to say in the next verses. Good verses 32 through 33. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth, for pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. So notice the progression here in Proverbs. Suddenly we go from creatures who walk proudly in their strength to a warning against exalting ourselves. 
Scripture is tying this here. The implication is that we do not want to follow suit walking proudly in our own strength. We don't want to pride ourselves in or put our trust in our earthly strength or our abilities of our own. Is it good to have natural strength? Of course. Do we want to walk and in pride and puff ourselves up in it and rely on it ultimately? No. We don't want to build an identity of being macho or strong where we show ourselves to not be weak and strut around on the basis of our earthly strength. This would be to exalt ourselves. But if we have done this, Proverbs goes on to tell us what to do. Essentially, we are to shut our mouths. We are to stop speaking. Walking in pride, we're... We think highly of ourselves and our strength and our abilities. And even devising evil, perhaps going back to that first group that wanted to gain power all along and somehow did, perhaps because they devised an evil plan, will lead to sin being spewed out of our mouths. Having a proud heart and an evil scheme to gain our evil desires will only result in sin and is certainly not a time to speak. It will not be beneficial and edifying towards others and will only lead to conflict. As the Proverbs goes on to say, as pressing milk certainly leads to curds and pressing the nose, likely the pressure of getting punched, leads to it bleeding, so most certainly does speaking when proud and angry lead to strife. What is implied here is that pride also leads to anger, which then leads to strife. When we are exalting ourselves, we have a propensity towards anger because we are so focused on ourselves and and are wanting others to view us with the same exalted status with which we view ourselves. It leads to anger and defending our perceived honor and glory. Charles Bridges puts it well when he says, How hard it goes with our proud tempers to be the first to lay our hands upon our mouths. How much ready are we to open our mouths in self-justification than in self-abasement. Thus, instead of quenching, we force wrath. Instead of meekness of wisdom, there is envy and strife in every evil work. So we are to not trust in our own earthly strength and proudly strut around in it. This leads to demanding others to recognize our greatness, which in turn leads to being angry because we are so concerned about how others view us and about our honor and about our glory. And in reality, it leads us to being quite insecure and sensitive and weak. And conflict abounds all around us, our spouse, our family, our friends, and many other relationships. But this is exactly the kind of strength that the world around us promotes. A lot of the recent social justice movement trends uh, is described by this first group in verses 21 through 23, where it's all about overthrowing those over them and putting the weak in these positions of power instead. And as a result, this group has become rather tyrannical and abusive in nature. 
Then you have the feminist and patriarchal movements where each respective group exalts and, inf and inflates their own gender. Feminists want exalted power and earthly strength uh, like men, and patriarchy wants exalted power and recognition for their own gain and their own sake. And when I say patriarchy here, I'm not referring to the way the culture refers to it, where anything we don't like, any established order uh, that we want undone, rather I'm referring to a movement within Christian circles that exalts the strength of men, uh, the way this last group does in Proverbs. Be the lion. Be the king. God has staked everything on men. Uh, they really pride themselves in being strong in an earthly sense and want to be recognized as such and find their identity in this. It's not about using their strength to humbly love and serve others. Rather, it's about promoting themselves and making sure others recognize it. It's about building an identity for themselves and puffing up their ego. And this is what actually makes them very insecure because their identity is bound up in these earthly things. And this is actually what weakens them. And this is seen in that they cannot take criticism. They don't put their hand over their mouth and often stir up strife. But it is our Lord Jesus Christ who is the perfect example of wise, humble, gentle, and loving service. Rather than being the slave who exalted himself as king, he is the king who humbled himself as a slave. And he did this for an unlovely wife whom he exalted to be his co-heir, his church. He did this not by strutting around his great strength, but by veiling his strength in weakness. He surrendered his life over to his enemies, dying a gruesome criminal's death on the cross because he was taking our place to pay for all our sins. And he calls out all sinners to come to him. Why? For he is gentle and lowly of heart, gladly welcoming and receiving sinners to himself. But this gospel, which the world regards as weakness, is the strength and wisdom of God. And that is what makes us strong. This wisdom of the gospel. For it is this wisdom that saves us from our sins and where the strength of Christ is perfected in our weaknesses. So may we look to God for wisdom because that is true strength, especially the wisdom that comes in the Gospel. Amen. Well, let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we ask that we would be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, not in our earthly strength, not 
in our exaltation of our egos. Not in wanting to be important and recognized, but rather in humbly serving and loving in the strength that we find in Christ. Knowing that we have been covered in Him. We have nothing to prove. We don't need to vindicate ourselves and justify ourselves and be somebody in order to have an identity. Rather, we have all the identity we'll ever need in Christ as a child covered in your righteousness, cleansed by your blood. And so may we then take on the image of Christ in humbly loving and serving others for the sake of Christ's name. We ask this in His name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.